Hello and welcome to another episode of A Little Ray of Sunshine, Inspirational Stories from Everyday People. I would like to welcome Melanie Walker. Melanie is an employee at Brigham Young University, Idaho. And you'll have to tell me again your exact job title. I'm a facility services manager. Okay. And I'm sure that packs a lot of different areas that you're involved with. Thank you for taking the time to visit with me today. I'll tell you how this all came about. One of my students came to me and said, you really need to talk to Melanie Walker. She said, I listened to a devotional that she gave, and it was amazing. So I contacted you, and that's how this all came about, <laughs> Melanie. And so let me just start out by asking a quick question. If you could look back at your life and look at the events that have shaped you to who you are today, what would those events be? And, and why. And let's talk a little bit about those life-altering events. So you're asking what I would change or what's not, made me? No, not what you would change. Just looking back at the, we'll call them critical events, events that have occurred in your life that have shaped you to who you are today. What would those events be? And maybe let's explore those a little bit. Well, I was abused when I was six years old. Um, sexually abused, and it lasted for a couple of years. The person who was doing that felt like if it was stopped before I turned eight, that I would be forgiven with confusion that that it was your fault. that it was my fault. Yeah. yeah, and so of course that just contributes to your own guilt, which isn't necessary, which you find out later down the road. Another one was probably marrying the wrong person under the wrong circumstances. I had to get married when I was 16 years old. I had my first child when I was just before I turned 17. And then that lasted. I had four children with that spouse, and it wasn't very good. He was on drugs all the time, and a lot of our family money went to that. And he was physically abusive and very emotionally abusive. And so when it finally got to the point where I couldn't handle it anymore, he'd had an affair, and I finally felt justified in walking away from that one. And it took me about a year going through some other trials and mistakes through that time frame where I decided that if I wanted the kind of life, I needed to change how I was living. And it hit me really hard. Probably the biggest thing that had the biggest impact, which was really funny that God knows exactly what we need. He sent a gentleman in that I've never met before. The ladies in the store, I worked at Albertson's, were familiar with him and knew that he was a very decent person. And, you know, you get that attraction that's there. Right. And I went home and I thought, I might not be ready for this one, but I will be ready for the next one. What was it you felt you needed to be needed to do to be ready? Well, I wasn't living my life, right? I was mm -hmm. practically living with a gentleman at the mm -hmm. time. And so there was a lot of a repentance process that I needed to go through in order to feel like I would be worthy to even come close to that. So I went home. I call it an Alma experience, even though I didn't have an angel like physically come to me. I considered him an angel. Sure. Because he turned my life around and made me, I cried all weekend and went in and just confessed everything, ready to take whatever. So that you could get yourself ready for the next one, or was that the one? No, he wasn't the one. That wasn't the one. We dated for about six months, but he uh -huh. still wasn't the one. Okay. About how old were you at that time? Um, I was about 24, 25. Yeah. Okay. And how long did it take before you met the one? 
kind of funny because I had met him different times along the way and didn't know it. Uh-huh. So he had come into my life while I was dating another gentleman. And I had kind of dated them both at the same time. And I felt obligated to the one I'd started dating first for a stupid reason. And got engaged to him. And I just couldn't get my soul to feel right with it. And so I had already gone through the temple and taken taken out my own endowments at that particular time. And so I went and I spent some time with the matron and had fasted before I went in there because I, I needed answers. And I know that they probably don't do this for very many people, but I, um, I feel the Lord has to hit us upside the head if we've been clear this side. He needs to hit us with something hard, clear this side, right? Yeah, to knock <laughs> us over where we need to be. Yeah. And so um, as I was sat sitting with the matron, she flat out told me that if I pursued this relationship with this gentleman, that he would abuse my children. She told you that? Yeah. Okay, so what happened? So I, I believed her. I went home and I called it off with that gentleman and I had visited with my two older children and they had told me that he had already started to clean them inappropriately. And so, which confirmed my decision, of course. And so I just felt like I had escaped a nightmare. And then how long before you actually met the man that you're married to? Well, he was the guy I was dating at the same time. Okay. And so he asked me to please let him know if things didn't work out. And so I did. And we were married three months later in the temple. Oh, that's such a great story. Since that time, obviously, that's a life changer for you. To be able to marry someone who treats you like you deserve to be treated and to find somebody like that, that's amazing. How long have you been married? 32 years. And so in your devotional that you gave, you talked about... um, loss, experiencing loss. Would you mind sharing that story? I I just think it's so, and I know it will be hard for you. I think I expressed to you before, I've also lost a son in a car accident, and it took me quite some time before I felt like I could talk about it without really becoming emotional. And my wife calls it the, the waves of the ocean. When the waves come in, just let them run over you, and then eventually they go back out. Well, with that being said, you know that sometimes it seems like yesterday. So the emotions are right there. Yes. And other times, like you said, the tide goes out Mm -hmm. and you can talk about it and you're fine. I think today is one of those tides in. (laughs) Okay. So our first son, it was actually my fourth son with my first marriage. Mm -hmm. And so to let you know, my husband that I'm married to now, he officially adopted them all. And they're sealed to him. So we don't look at it that it's any different. And then we had four children together. So it was the youngest son of my first marriage. He was heading over to the school that we lived across from in Lyman to play with his siblings. And I was pregnant at the time. I was about seven months pregnant. And he wanted to ride his bike over. And I told him he couldn't go right then and there because he had a few tours that he needed to finish. And so he proceeded to finish those and then got on his bike and went over there. And I just heard a noise and ran to the door to see what was going on. And I saw the neighbor boy. His truck was 
front end of it was against a telephone pole. And I thought to myself first was, oh, he just crashed his dad's pickup. He's going to be a little worried, you know, about what the outcome of that one is. And he's running down the road and he just yells out, call an ambulance. I just hit your son. I can only imagine the thoughts that were going through your head at that time. It was really interesting because I guess this is when I really gained a testimony of the comforter because I know me well enough to know that just left to myself, I would have flipped, but everything was very clear on what I needed to do and what order I needed to do it in. And so I hurried and I called an ambulance and got them coming. And then I called my husband and told him what had happened. And then I went ahead and went out the door to go over and see what was, what was going on. And so when I got over there and saw him laying there, the school people, brother Shirley, he was the principal of the, at the time. And he asked me, he says, do you want me to give your son a blessing? And I said, absolutely. And so he just basically said to him, you will live until proper medical help arrives, at which time the Lord will decide whether he is to stay or go. Well, that's powerful. It was powerful. And so there was just such a a comfort that came over me that I knew that if he went home, it was God's will. And so with that being said, I felt him go. I knew when he left. It's also when I gained a testimony that when we are with someone, what we are feeling is not their physical personage. We are feeling their spirit. And the reason why I knew that is because I felt my dad as if he was right behind me. Right. In a physical form. Mm -hmm. And I knew that he came to take him. And that was just after the medical personnel. Mm -hmm. Well, the ambulance is kind of funny because the ambulance was coming down the road and they had just gotten there and had gotten out and was assessing him. And then I felt my dad. So he did live until proper medical help arrived. But and then he finished passing on the boy who hit him. I also had an immediate understanding of what he was going through, which was only done by the spirit. And I knew that this was going to have to be something this kid lived with his whole life. And I was not going to be part of what made that hard for him. Right. How did you get to that point? It was immediate. I was holding him right at the scene of the accident and just telling him, it's okay. We don't blame you. It was kind of weird because it was like a whole bunch of spiritual experiences surrounded this. And I don't mind sharing them because I learned them through great sacrifice. And I was led to know immediately that this boy needed my forgiveness needed our family's forgiveness. It was not hard to give. Several times I've had conversations with him since then as he's been hung up in different areas of his life. He was debating whether to go on a mission. It took him a little longer to get married because there was just certain areas that he felt, I think, a little hung up on. And so 
when he finally did go out on his mission, he actually wrote um, an article that was put in the New Era that was, Can I give, Be Forgiven? And that article has gone out and helped other people. And also a gentleman even that I work with, his sister lost one of their children. Two of the kids were hit at the same time. One passed away and the other one was just critically injured for a while. But the young man who hit them, I took that article to him in hopes that, you know, it would help him heal as well. And we were also, I don't know, told by the spirit that everybody has to have a way to get back home. And there's certain agreements that are made that we don't know. And I feel very strongly that this young gentleman was an agreement with my son that that's how he would go home. See, to come to that point, and you said it was immediate to have the the feelings of forgiveness, Mm -hmm. to get to that point for some it's not that easy. And I know I was not that person. It took me a while to have that forgiveness of the young man who crashed into us and uh, took the life of our son. And I was with him when it happened. So it took me some time. So when I hear you share what you just did, that just brings hope. I mean, you had to have had the spirit with you to have it that immediate. Well, for whatever reason, I did. Yeah. <laughs> because I know it wasn't mine. Right. This young man is kind of interesting. He's grown. He's got, I believe, three children of his own now. And him and his wife are best friends with my daughter and oh. her husband. So our relationship with their family is really strong. Yeah. And it's great that you didn't or seek to place blame, but that you listened to the prompting. And you probably save this young man's life. I don't know about the burden of what he must have been going through. I, I can't speak to that because I've, I've never experienced it. But I imagine it's a heavy, heavy burden mm-hmm. to have to handle. And for you to immediately show that love right away, I probably saved this young man's life. Life of heartache anyway, for sure. Well, I know I didn't want to be part of what extended it. There is a lot that I've learned from that, though. It's always a choice. And I know that I didn't want to suffer longer. And if we tend to hold stuff inside, that's exactly what we're going to do. Suffer longer. Is suffer longer. The healing will not come with that inside. It just doesn't. And I've noticed that by letting go of that and choosing the forgiveness path rather than a bitter, that... I have been allowed to grow and have experiences because of that, because of choosing Christ and not to be bitter over it, where if I would have chose that, who knows? It could have ruined my family. It could have ruined our ward. You know, it could have ruined this young man's life. It could have had a lot of adverse effects that I am glad I'm not responsible for. Right. And you you probably don't even like to think about what it could have been had you made the wrong choice. How long ago was that? That was in 95. In 1995. Mm -hmm. And then as your story continues, there's more to the story, isn't there? Yes, there is. So we had um, our oldest son that we had together was heading into school one morning early to make up for a test that he had missed because he belonged to a singing group called Belcantos, singers that they have at the high school. And they had done a tour, I think it was, I want to say Washington, but it had created 
you know, some makeup work that they had to do. And he usually has a sister with him when they go into school, but she didn't want to go in early that day. And so she stayed home and he left. I remember prior to that thinking, you know, if I humble myself, then maybe God won't need to humble me, you know. So I was really into the scriptures and trying to read them and trying to keep myself in a good place. And I was sitting on the couch when I got the call, actually. It was from a neighbor. And she said, you might want to come quick. I think your son's been in an accident. And I said, okay, why basically do you think it's our son? She goes, well, it's your green van. And um, I knew we had one other lady in the ward that drove the same type of van. But the way that she was talking, she knew. She just didn't want to tell me that she knew completely. And so <laughs> my husband was in the shower, and I wasn't going to wait for him. So I hurried and jumped in the car and ran down there. It was just around the corner from us. He had slid off the road slick. In fact, there was just a window of about a half hour that had been really, really bad that morning. Mm-hmm. And I told him before he left to be really careful because this is the condition out there. And anyway, he had slid off the road into a telephone pole and he had gone. It was a, one of the big telephone poles that have the big guide wire that comes down. And so interestingly enough, he had to slide in there just perfect to hit the way he did or he would have bounced off the guard wire. Anyway, he hit on the passenger side which if our daughter would have been in there, it would have killed her as well. But what it did was it ended up coming in from the side and it pushed the passenger seat into him and it whipped him sideways. So he hit his head on the side and it displaced his brainstem. So he basically died instantly. And um, so when I went there and saw him, I knew knew he was gone because there was no posturing. There's nothing. And they told me that they were going to take him to Rexburg. And a girl had offered to drive me there in my car. And so I'd gone to Rexburg, got there. And before long, Chief Childs shows up and says they took him to Idaho Falls. And so um, I had to wait for my husband to get in there. And then we proceeded to go down to Idaho Falls. And there was nothing they could do. They actually examined him once, told me that there was nothing that they could do. And it was a doctor that had just lost his son not very long ago. And when we told him that this was our second son, he broke down. He just had to get out of the room. And I guess, according to the nurse, he went back and he looked over every inch of if they missed anything, but there wasn't anything they could do. You know, it's I I hear people who have lost a child, losing two children. And going through the events of your younger life that you went through, how do you stay so positive? Well, (laughs) I was positive for a little while. Like I said, I've had a lot of really special experiences. And his name was Trevor. And he, he actually walked with me for quite a while before. We knew that he was worthy. He had just been through and had his bishop's interview like literally the day before. And he had just turned 18, had been 18 for six days. And we were waiting to do his temple work. And I know it sounds kind of funny to people who may not have been there, but he was with me. And until we took his name through the temple, he stayed with me. 
And then after we took his name through the temple, he basically said, I have other work to do now. I need to go. I was angry. Sanger with God. Because there was no one else to forgive. <laughs> you know? And it was like one son, but two. And me and Trevor were really close. We worked together out on the cemetery all the time. We just had a really good relationship. And he was an exceptional kid. The stuff that we got back from students that he went to school with, he was known for his hugs and his smile. And so I was really mad. And it took me about six months before I decided. And people might think this sounds kind of funny, but I even learned something about my father in heaven with this. I went one day in prayer and told him I forgive him. And the feeling that I got back was one of, thank you. I don't want my daughter angry with me. Just like, as parents, we don't want our children mad at us. And I felt that. Being our father in heaven and us being his children, it's got to be a lot the same relationship and feeling. To be angry with God is probably, he's probably used to it, you know. Uh, and I think that these trials that we go through, large or small, and everywhere in between, they're there for a reason. Mm -hmm. And in the beginning, I don't know about you, Melanie, but in the beginning, I didn't want to know. I just knew that there was a trial and why did it have to happen? But it took some time to realize, okay, it's okay. It's going to be fine. Mm -hmm. But I blamed God just like you did. I was angry with God. I don't think I actually apologized to him for that. I think I'm going to have to take your advice and go and, and do that now because it's been several years. But that must have helped you with the burden that you were feeling on your, your shoulders to, to be able to say that. It did. But I want to make sure that people understand because when you say, how do I stay positive? Mm -hmm. It's a constant choice. It is. It's not something that you just make up your mind once to do and it just sticks. Mm -hmm. You have to make up your mind over and over and over again that that's the way you're going to keep going. Yes. In fact, I was talking with a student just before I came here to your office and we were talking about a similar topic and I brought up, I can see you have a picture of President Monson there. He had a famous quote which is decisions determine destiny. Mm -hmm. And what is a decision? It's a choice. And so every choice we make will determine our future destiny. Mm -hmm. So if you choose to forgive, that took you on this path. If you chose not to forgive, well, you know, it might not have been as good Yeah, of a road to, to have to travel on. So I, I really believe that. And not everybody has that ability right away. And I'm, I'm so impressed that you were just able to to do that when your first son passed away and and then able to reconcile with God after your second son passed away. So that's that's character there. And you did make a choice. You made those choices just like we all do. But it brought you to where you are. <laughs> so all if life is made up of choices, are you happy with the choices that you've made in your life? Looking back at everything that I've gone through, Sometimes you think, well, where would my life be had I not had to go through these things? But honestly, I don't think that God put it in the perpetrator's heart 
to victimize me, but he does have the ability to make that choice consecrated for my good, depending upon my choice. And because of the choices I made with the hand that was dealt to me, I feel like he has blessed me and shaped me. And in a sense, I've had a desire to be able to touch other people's lives. And I think that because of the things I've been through, they haven't been in vain because he's allowed me to do that. I never would have dreamed that I would ever be addressing thousands of people from a BYU-Idaho pulpit, ever. And so for that opportunity to be literally dropped into my lap and to have it be able to touch other people's hearts in a way that it may help change them for the better, that to me is a huge blessing that God has consecrated. And he has a plan for you. Yeah. We may not include some of the events that have happened to us as part of our life plan, but in the real scheme of things, it's really his plan for yeah. us. And we have our agency to follow and make choices that will determine whether or not we end up on the same path he wanted us on. And that's the, that's the good thing about it, I guess, is, is our agency. Yeah. But in your, your devotion was just absolutely uh, amazing. And uh, I would encourage anybody who's listening to this podcast to look it up. And how would they find that? So I gave it in October of 2017. I think it's October 3rd is the date. And so will they get on the home page of BYU-Idaho and just search for devotionals? Yeah. Archives or something like that? Yeah. I'm trying to remember the title of it. I think it was Conversion Through the Furnace of Affliction. That's a good way to put it. Those trials are, are afflictions that kind of make us feel like we're going through a furnace. So let me ask you a question, Melanie. Do you think that before we came to live in this mortal life here on this earth, that we knew that we would have sons that would pass before us and that we made the choice to raise them anyway? So I know that there's a lot of controversy over some of this type of belief, but I think God is in every aspect of our lives. Every detail. I don't think that things are by chance. Mm -hmm. Time is only relevant to us, not to him. And so, yes, in answer to that question, I do believe that I agree to it. As do I. And it was almost as if, I mean, I get a really good feeling when I think about it and it's provided hope for me to think, yeah, I, I love this little guy enough that four years, I'll take four years. Or you'll take seven years or 18 years because what's 18 years is a drop in the bucket compared to what? Eternity. Well, and we've agreed to give them a chance to have a body. Yeah. And who knows how many lives their life has touched in the amount of time that they were here. Isn't that going to be a grand reunion though, Melanie? Yeah. Do you, do you ever think about that? Oh, often. Well, as we kind of wrap up here, let me just kind of finish with this. If you could give any advice to anybody who has suffered through loss or abuse or had you know really heavy trials in their lives, what would you say to them to help them if they're not in the same mindset that you are right now? I think a lot of times people forget that people were put down here to have choice and God's not going to interfere with that choice. Sometimes he may call 
our loved one's home. Other times it comes because someone else's choice took our loved one. I still think that's somewhat in the plan, but I think that it's still our choice on how we choose to look at it. I think a lot of people want to blame God or be angry with him for whatever reasons. It's an easy place to go. Really? It is. It really is. I've said this many times to other people, and I've probably said it on my other podcasts, but you didn't have a choice in what happened to your son, either one of them, but you did have a choice on how you handled it and dealt with it afterwards. Mm -hmm. So there's always an element of choice. You can either be a victim or you can be a product of your past and allow that to help you and work for you. Yeah. And I can see very clearly that you've used the trials in your life to help you to become the person you are today. Well, and I think that's available for everyone. I do too. And for my advice to them would just be, you know, don't blame God, turn to him instead and just give it time. I think a lot of people try to reach out to take away the pain really fast. And so they think that by reaching out to material type things or revenge helps to heal that hole. And it really doesn't. What does it do? It makes it last longer. So if you're able to just cry when you want to cry, feel what you want to feel, but turn to God, it does still take time, but the healing comes quicker. Well, thank you so, so much for the time that, that I've been able to spend with you this afternoon. And I know that your message will touch the hearts of many people. I really do. So thank you again. You're welcome. To my listeners, as always, remember to speak up, speak out, and speak often. Bye-bye.